Welcome into the Rebound Rundown. Today is Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Fritchner, and this is produced by Chatterbox Sports. This is your Daily Digest college basketball show where you can get your info on Cincinnati area college hoops every Monday through Friday in short episodes. And joining me today, it's Rick Broering, publisher of MusketeerReport.com, recurring guest here of the show and radio analyst for NKU. We're going to talk some Xavier NKU. Rick, I also want to get your thoughts on Cincinnati and Kentucky. There have been some rumblings around Wildcat Nation today. So we're going to talk about all that here over the next 10 or 11 minutes no area teams were in action tonight but i will give you a preview after you and i finish up rick we'll give everybody listening a preview of the three area games tonight uh that'll be tuesday night as you all are listening to this but let's first start with xavier get your overall thoughts on the musketeers who beat villanova last week on saturday for the first time since joining the big east musketeers go on the road get it done um, overall thoughts and impressions on that win, Rick. Uh, well, I think the biggest thing is just overcoming winning at Villanova. It's been such a long time at 1955, 56 season is the last time Xavier had won there. Most of the battles between these two teams prior to Xavier joining the big East came in the seventies and eighties, and they didn't win during that stretch. Obviously they haven't won there since they've joined the big East. This was just a long time coming. So to get the monkey off the back, it was huge for Xavier fans, I know. And uh, this may not be your typical Villanova team that we've seen over their last 10 years or however long it's been of dominance now at this point. But it was still a big win for this Xavier team. And it just in general, to be on a nine game winning streak and to show you can go on the road and and win another uh, close game in conference. it, It just says a lot about where this team is at right now. I feel like to this point on Tuesday morning when everybody's listening, most people listening probably know what happened in the game and and have a general idea of how Xavier beat Villanova. So I want to talk more about the perspective of this Xavier team right now and where you think Xavier can go this year, because I think it's time in the season that we have a big enough sample size that we can start to think. And I mentioned it on yesterday's episode. You can start to think about the heights that this Xavier team can reach Given the talent that Xavier has on the team and the pieces that they have that have started to fit well together, what do you think the ceiling for this team is, Rick? I think the ceiling is as high as 15, 16 wins in Big East play and potentially looking at something like a uh, a top three seed in the NCAA tournament. I mean, we even briefly talked about it the other night that do you even start talking about Xavier as high as a two seed potentially if all things really go well? I think three or four is probably where you set your sights right now if you're a Xavier fan. But just to be in this position where you're sitting at 5-0 and in conference play, you have a stretch coming up right now with two home games against tough competition in Creighton on Marquette, but then a couple of games right after that that you should win into Paul and Georgetown. I mean, you could really get off to an incredible start here in Big East play and set yourself up for something special. And I just don't think that's something that a lot of fans expected coming into the season. Even the most optimistic ones, I think, felt like it was a year where we'll definitely be back in the tournament. Maybe we can get into that seven, six seed range and and really have a great season. I don't think many people were considering the idea of, 15 plus wins potentially in big east play and going on to a protected seed yeah and i should mention that 
Monday, there was a new AP poll, as there is every week. Xavier moved up to number 12, jumping up six spots. This is Xavier's highest ranking since they were number three in the final poll of the 2017-2018 season. That was the year that Xavier was the number one seed. Marquette jumped into the rankings at number 25. That means that Marquette and Xavier will be a top 25 matchup with tip time set for noon on Sunday. There was a a, a discussion as to whether that game would be at 12 or 430, but the tip time was set for noon this coming Sunday. But another thing to point out about this Xavier team is that right now, Xavier is number 18 on Ken Palm. They're number 12 in the AP poll and they're number 18 in the net. Last year, on January 10th, Xavier was voted number 17 in the AP poll, number 20 on Ken Palm, and number 17 in the net. So almost identical. A few differences, but pretty close to where they were last year in all of the the metrics. But Rick, it feels like this team is very different, or in a very different spot than that team was. Yeah, definitely. And and I do think a lot of people forget how good of a position this team was coming out of their non-conference slate where they performed very well. And then going into the beginning of conference play, they had gotten themselves off to a really good start and then truly collapsed down the stretch. Now, they were playing a different way. A lot of the games felt different. There are a lot more games where you felt like they underachieved. Uh, they weren't a team that was progressing slowly as the season went on like this team has. And uh, to be quite honest with you, Paul, it, it's just hard to imagine this team going backwards and falling apart down the stretch like they have in years past. If, if anything, it feels like this team is still climbing that ladder and getting better. So the last thing to talk about was Xavier before we move on Creighton and Marquette this week. And I think Creighton is a very low key. And I it's weird to say this for a team that was picked to win the Big East. But this just seems like a game that might be sneaking up on Xavier on a Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And you get to a point where Xavier hasn't lost in t- since November. They're on a nine-game winning streak, one of the longest in the country. Is this a game, Rick, where Xavier stubs their toe against a Creighton team that can get hot from three? Yeah, I don't even know if I look at it as like a, a trap game or or a game that shouldn't give Xavier problems. I look at, at it very much as a difficult matchup for Xavier. Creighton is a team that... They've certainly had their issues. They went on that long losing streak where they lost six in a row. But since then, they've recovered. They won three of their last four, and the only loss was a game at UConn, and UConn was coming off to back, back-to-back back losses. So that was a great spot game for the Huskies. It was going to be tough for Creighton to pull that one out. And when you look at how Creighton gets it done offensively, they are a team that still wants to shoot a lot of threes and beat you from the outside. And teams that do that and do that well can give Xavier's defense problems. We've seen that already this season. That's been one of Xavier's weak spots defensively. They're allowing teams to shoot over 36% from beyond the arc. They rank around 300th in the country in defensive three-point percentage. So that's something that I would worry about with Xavier. Also, they've had trouble slowing down opposing forwards that are talented scorers. And when you look at Creighton and the way they play, you could have Arthur Kaluma at that spot. You could have Baylor Shireman at that spot. Two guys that can play at definitely different styles of basketball, but both are talented players and, and can cause some, some matchup issues. So uh, Kaluma averaging around 13 points and Shireman averaging around 12. Pretty similar type scorers. So that's on Wednesday night. And then, of course, Marquette in a ranked matchup on Sunday. And if Xavier was able to win both of those, then you go into DePaul and Georgetown for a chance to 
stretch it to a 13 game winning streak heading back out to UConn after that. I mean, that, that would be incredible, but we can talk more about that later. And Rick, I want to move on now to NKU. Give me your overall thoughts. I know it was a roller coaster of a weekend for the Norse. So let's get a recap on that and where the Norse stand right now. Yeah. Well, obviously I think you already talked about the games. They lose to Oakland in tough fashion, late game scenario where Jalen Moore beats them. They fouled him a couple of times on three pointers, just didn't execute well in the final minute of that my final minute or two of that one. And then against Detroit mercy, a few nights or a few days later on Sunday afternoon, they win in overtime, but they needed Trayvon Faulkner hit to hit a really difficult three pointer that he was heavily guarded on at the buzzer and regulation to even force overtime. And they were fortunate to pull out that win. So um, from one perspective, you can look at it and say uh, they didn't play all that well this weekend. They had two close calls and lost one that you would hope they wouldn't lose. They need to perform really well in these early home games in conference because they have that insane late conference schedule where they play seven of their last eight games on the road. And um, so I think that's one way to look at it. But then the other way to look at it is, yeah, they didn't play all that well, but they're five and one in conference play right now, tied for first. When they are playing well, they clearly look like one of the best, if not the best team in the Horizon League. And there's nothing, nowhere for this team to go but up when you start looking even at some of the the shooting numbers. Trayvon Faulkner has been playing well below his normal standard in years past. Sam Vinson hasn't shot nearly well or finished nearly as well around the basket as he did in his freshman season. So if some of your key players start playing more like themselves as the year goes on, which I think most people expect them to, then this team could really click late and be the class of the conference again. Where do you think this team stands right now, Rick, as far as as the horizon? I know you just talked about it a little bit, but just as far as the horizon prospects go with a team that's trying to compete at the top of the horizon to win the tournament, get back to the NCAA tournament. Well, I think the the thing you've seen is right now there are five teams at the top in terms of the standings in Northern Kentucky, Milwaukee, Youngstown State, Cleveland State and Oakland. Uh, Northern Kentucky and Milwaukee are both five and one tied for first. And then those other teams are four and two uh, tied for third. But then after that, the, the next couple of teams are teams that you would have expected to compete for a conference title potentially this year. Purdue Fort Wayne was the favorite by most publications and, and also the, the league itself. Um, then you have Detroit Mercy, who has the the one of the NCAA's all-time leading scores and um, the conference's all-time leading score in Antoine Davis and Wright State, a team who's been at the top of the conference for years. They're all at three and three or two and four right now, a little bit behind the eight ball early, but you would expect them to compete. So you factor in all the teams I just named. We're talking about six, seven teams that are going to be competitive in the top half of the conference this year. So there is a lot of parity, and that's why I said it's going to be so important for NKU to have a lot of success during these early home games because they're going to have to really hang on when they're playing seven of eight on the road at the end of the year. All right, Cincinnati. Cincinnati now, they've got a lot of work to do. They only have three quad one games left, the two at Memphis, or the two games against Memphis, one at home, one away, and then the one at Houston. Uh, Cincinnati, the the at-large prospects are looking slim. I don't want to say the season is over yet, but they're looking very, very, very slim. I don't see a path to the NCAA tournament right now for Cincinnati. Uh, 
you never know. I don't want to say I don't want to say no, but I just I don't see a path right now for Cincinnati in the at large pool. Of course, you could win the the AAC tournament. Um, but as far as as positives go, Rick, for people trying to find positives out of the Cincinnati season and in the second year of West Miller, do you are you seeing any? Are you seeing anything trending in the right direction? Well, I think the win at Wichita State was definitely a, a su- pleasant surprise for where this team is at right now. I mean, they were coming off that loss at Temple where they just quite honestly looked terrible. And they followed that up with another road game that is pretty difficult place to play in Wichita State. And I was thinking, oh, this could get really ugly because you have that game and Houston back to back. Now you could potentially be on a three game losing streak, but, but credit Wes Miller and, and that UC team, they came out and they got a big win on the road and Jeremiah Davenport lit it up from the outside and really carried this team offensively that night. But the concern for me would be that seems to be their way of winning games is they need David Julius Landers, Nolly, Jeremiah Davenport, one of those guys to go off, shooting from the outside and making tough shots. And and you may say, well, every team needs their best players to score and play well to win. And that is true. Uh, But UC seems to really be tied to how well they take and make shots from the perimeter and tough shots off the dribble. And I don't know how sustainable that is. They don't really seem to have a consistent source of offense. And um, that, that would concern me a little bit, but obviously Houston is a monster for anybody to play right now. So I, I don't think that's a game you expect them to win. We'll see what they do in this stretch coming up. They've got three winnable games with East Carolina at home, at SMU, and at South Florida. You'd like to see them win all three of those games leading into the home uh, matchup against Memphis. Last thing I want to ask you about, Rick, down there in Lexington, there have been some rumors swirling about Coach Cal and maybe Texas making a push for Coach Cal. For people that read the reports yesterday and and are wondering what might be happening with any fluidity there with the way that Kentucky season is trending right now. Do you have any light that you can shed? I'm not necessarily asking for, for inside sources or anything, but just some perspective or any thoughts to add to the whole Cal and Texas and everything coaching situation right now. Yeah. Well, Travis Branham is a 24 seven sports reporter. And he was the one who said that uh, according to sources he's talked to, he wouldn't be surprised that if Texas put together a competitive offer, Coach Cal would listen to it and very likely jump at that opportunity. So, you know, how much does that mean? We'll see. But I do think that there is always uh, something to the fact of the Kentucky job just wears on you. And at some point you just get tired of it. And when things aren't going well, multiple years in a row and, and everybody's getting frustrated with the program, it is not a fun job to have. And I could see Cal maybe just getting kind of spiteful and being like, you know what? Well, let's see how better off you are when I leave. I'll go to another big time program and, and get them back on track and get them rolling in the Big 12. It'd be fascinating to see. It'd be interesting to see what a motivated John Calipari wanting to prove himself again at a new big time program would look like, because quite honestly, it hasn't been impressive what he's put on the court the last few years. His system isn't very good offensively. Uh, the the effort on Saturday at Alabama, where they lost 78-52, was just embarrassing. So uh, I get why Kentucky fans are frustrated. I'm not sure that they have a better option out there than John Calipari. I'd love to hear who UK fans think they'll be able to bring in. But if he does leave for Texas, I'd be fascinated to see how that works out for both parties. 
is this a situation where he could lead? He I'm just I'm just asking for people that might be wondering midseason if Texas wants to hire this. This has to be something that would have to end after the season, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't I can't imagine anything like that. I don't even know how that would work. I don't. I don't actually. I, I, I just would, saw. There, some, there's some no questions. way he would leave in the middle of the year. Um, but after the year ends, or maybe do things get so wildly bad at some point this year? that he agrees with Kentucky to do some type of stepping down and wiping away the buyout. So it's easier for him to take another job. I wouldn't imagine Kentucky would do that because again, I don't know who their, what their plan of attack would be in terms of hiring another coach who would really be a good option to replace him. And they would feel like they're in a good spot. But if for whatever reason, it really gets bad this year and Kentucky ends up being like, I don't know, two and 10 or something like that. And they have a few more embarrassing performances. Maybe we do see him step down before the season is over at some point. And then after the year, we see him go to Texas. Last question real quick. Are there any names that pop to the top of your head that would be Kentucky potential replacements? I mean, the best option in my mind is bringing back Rick Patino. Probably that's the new trend, that's the right? First name back, I thought. That's the first the name I coach. thought. Now I don't think there's any realistic chance that they would do that, and I don't think it's probably a good idea from the standpoint, if nothing else, that he is just so old at this point. It's a very temporary solution, regardless of of whether you decide to do it or not, or how successful he would be. Um, Chris Holtman is the name that I've heard. Now I find it hard to believe that Kentucky fans would be all that excited about getting Chris Holtman, uh, but but he's definitely a name. I think he would definitely reach out to Eric Musselman at Arkansas. I don't know that he would be interested in leaving where he's at for another job in the SEC where they've been less successful and the pressure is much higher, but that's another one I would look at. Nate Oates at Alabama is a name that would probably get a look. Jerome Tang. Um, those are kind of the names at the top of the list, I would guess, in terms of current college basketball names. But when you think about the the major programs that have turned over their head coach recently in uh, Duke and North Carolina, what type of hires did they go with? It was legacy hires, guys that were within the, the program and the, the former coaches coaching tree. It, they're up and comers. They weren't established guys from power programs. Uh, overall, they would be underwhelming hires had they not had the connection to the program already. I'm not sure who that type of guy would be for Kentucky right now. Sure. All right, Rick. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. All right. Looking around the area tonight, talked about Kentucky. All three teams in the area tonight playing at 7 o'clock. Kentucky will be at home at Rupp Arena against a very bad South Carolina team. Kentucky right now hovering around 18 and a half point favorites. That's a game Kentucky really needs to get right with. If the Wildcats want to go into Tennessee and have a shot to win down there in Knoxville on Saturday, Kentucky again tipping off at home at seven o'clock. Miami is at home against Buffalo in a Mac tilt. That's at seven and Dayton is on the road to play Fordham at seven o'clock as well. Dayton right now, they are rolling. The Flyers are back in action again tonight, and they have been on a roll for quite a while. They haven't lost since December 7th, that game against Virginia Tech, that blowout loss down there in Blacksburg. But since then, they haven't played a whole lot of great competition, but the Flyers have gotten the job done. Like I mentioned the other day, they're back up from 77th on Ken Palm, where they sit right now at 55th. And again, that is at 7 o'clock at Fordham. 
Paul's pick of the day was a loser again today. Now, I did give out a winner on box lunch. If anybody was looking for that, I talked about the New Mexico and Oral Roberts under, and that cashed fairly easily. But last night on the show, I gave out Colgate minus five and a half. That was looking good for a while, but Army came back. They lost, but they did cover. So tonight, I'm going to stick with an area pick. And right now, I am seeing on the Betfred Sportsbook that Dayton is seven and a half point. Actually, just now, as I refresh the app, they're down to seven point favorites. So I'm going to give Dayton at minus seven at Fordham on the road. Deron Holmes right now for the Flyers. Ken Palm's 10th best player in the country. I think he carries the Flyers on the road again tonight. Paul's pick of the day, two and four right now. Needs a little help. Could use a run this week into the weekend. That'll do it for today's Rebound Rundown. Have a great Tuesday, everybody, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.